No, I don't need it. Oh, no, I don't need that. I should have said that in a slightly more polite way. It's just my husband, so. No. Um, good morning, everybody. Hello, my name's Lois. I'm uh, part of the leadership team of Oxford Community Church. Welcome, everyone. There are so many people here. That is wonderful. Welcome if you're with us for the first time and the friends and family of Eva Robertshaw. Wasn't that just brilliant? She was absolutely marvellous. So we're looking at being a community of children this morning and particularly the difference it makes knowing... Is this too close to my mouth? Um, the difference it makes knowing that we're sons and daughters of God. And there's something great about little kids that's been mentioned already. They don't question that they're loved. Um, they don't question that their parents are trustworthy. Perhaps they should. They're full of joy. However, there's quite a lot. So there's lots we can learn from kids, but there's quite a lot we want to leave behind in our childhood. Am I right? So I just wanted to, as a bit of a fun icebreaker... Just have a think back to your childhood. What was the naughtiest thing that you can remember doing? Just sort of put like a visual aid here. If you can click me on. Oh, they're busy. Um, Have a think. What was the naughtiest thing that you can remember doing? And just take a couple of minutes. Share it with the person sitting next to you. Go. Well, I don't really want to interrupt. So it sounds like a lot of you were enjoying some of those stories. It's important in community to share those kind of things as well as all of the good things. Um, When I was little, I had a name, and that name was Pickle. Did anyone else have that name? There's something about that vegetable that just perfectly sums up my four-year-old self and many other four-year-old selves. So my parents called me Pickle, and my parents called my brother Phil, because that was his name. And that, ladies and gentlemen, tells you everything you need to know about the difference between myself and my brother. It goes on today. I don't know if it was my naughtiest moment, but the moment that came to mind immediately when I was thinking about this morning was 
when I was at the dinner table, and I probably was about four, I was being a pickle, pickle's going to pickle, and I was trying to, um, I was trying to, uh, I suppose, eat my vegetables and failing entirely and then kicking off. And my parents made this decision to send me to eat my dinner alone in the living room. I know what you're thinking, that's a bad parenting decision. You'd be right. Uh, but but to, in fairness to them, what I really craved as a child was attention. I know, I, like, I, don't, know, I don't know where that went, but <laughs> I craved attention. So they made this decision that the one thing they could do was to deprive me of all attention and put me alone in this room. But what they really did was they gave me an opportunity to use my cold, hard logic to figure out my problem. And my, my main problem was carrots. <laughs> and the worst kind of carrots, I'm sure you'll agree, are the carrots that are chopped in circles. <laughs> they just taste worse. I don't know why. It just tastes worse. And I had a bunch of those carrots. And I was like, what am I going to do? Long story short, I threw them out the window. <laughs> just get them out. Just get them out. And I considered, I remember this reasoning. I thought, shall I throw them into the next door's garden? And I thought, no, I thought better of that. I'm not an animal. And I also thought, I'm not sure I can throw them that far. So, it's suffice to say, it took my parents all of five seconds to see the bright orange carrots in the middle of a patio <laughs> and to know what had happened. And I learned an important lesson, which was if you're going to throw your carrots out the window, throw them into a bush, because then no one will know, no one will see. So there's a little bit of a deviousness about, well, certainly a deviousness about my childhood. They were probably quite pleased to leave behind. You know, we're supposed to grow and develop and change. But there are some things about childhood that we're never supposed to graduate from. And we do, and we shouldn't, knowing that when we're sad, we'll get comforted. We ought to get comforted, knowing that we're loved, that we belong to someone, that we're taken care of. So this sermon series we've been in, uh, talking about community, we've been looking at what the Bible says about what God wants our community to be like. And this is the final one in the series. And I'm just going to go back to some basics, because sometimes the simplest things are the most profound, and sometimes the littlest people have the, the most to teach the biggest. So why does it matter that we are a community of children? It matters because there's a father waiting to love us. So turn with me to Luke. If you have Bibles with you, if not, the words will appear on the screen, but it's a long one. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus used parables to teach his disciples. He told stories. Stories have the ability for us to use the imagination to try and grasp things that might have actually been too complicated to try and grasp uh, if we were told just with cold facts. And this particular parable was intended to get Jesus' disciples to begin to imagine the kind of love that God has for humanity. It's not going to be an easy thing to get your heads around. This is the story he tells. So try and do the same. Try and use your imaginations, even if it's a familiar story to you. Let's read it together. There's a wasp. <laughs> there was a man 
who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And both of these sons, in all sorts of ways, believed some wrong things about their own dad. 
They had some, between them, they had a bunch of wrong beliefs. And these are the main ones. They believed that the best thing about him was the wealth that he could provide. Both of them believed that. They believed, well, both of them believed this, but the younger son in particular believed bad behavior will result in me being judged and cast out of the family forever. They believed that the father is a master and I am a slave. And they believed, oh, it says stingy, but it actually, that is the way you're supposed to spell it. It's stingy. I know I only discovered in doing this. I was like, I'm like Chris, is that right? It says stingy. <laughs> but it's the right word. They believe he's stingy. He only gave, he haven't even given me a little goat. So those four things. The best thing about him is the wealth that he can provide. Bad behavior means I'll get cast out. He's master and I'm a slave or a servant and he's stingy. Do you ever find yourself tempted to believe those kind of things about God? Only all the time, right? (laughs) All the time. This is why Jesus told this story. Because everyone, no matter who you are, where you've come from, everyone picks up beliefs about God that aren't true. All of us. Even people who don't believe in God pick up things about God. We all misunderstand his nature. We're all on a journey to understanding it better. So actually, none of these things are true. The story shows he's generous, he's compassionate, he's forgiving. He wants both of his sons to know that they're sons and that he loves them. And I want to focus on two encounters in this story. There's so many things we could focus on in this story, and I want to look at the two moments where both sons meet their father and have a moment with them. And I think that there are two particular things that we need to learn as a community from those encounters. The first one is this. We are not worthless. We are worthy Some of you are smiling because you know what that hammer is. I'll come back to that. So the first son makes this journey of shame and despair, doesn't he? He's reciting this sad little speech. And his encounter with his father, where his father has been watching for him and runs to meet him and hugs him and kisses him. That encounter is supposed to change him. It is supposed to change and radically change his understanding of who his father is. And this speech he's working on, he's, he's walking along, his head is down... And he's essentially saying, I'm not worthy, 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 I'm not worthy to be called your son, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And the encounter is supposed to get rid of all of that. He doesn't even listen to the speech. But if the son doesn't change, there's a risk here 
that the son might think that there's something about the shame journey that caused the father to love him. Okay? So you might, you might think that if, if your head's down low enough and you're sorry enough, then, then God is going to feel sorry for you and be like, oh, go on then. There's something about this, uh, this son that's, that we admire. I'm trying to get to the bottom of why. Because imagine the son knew with confidence that he was going to be received. And he's like, oh, I can't wait for that fattened calf. <laughs> we wouldn't like him as much, right? We wouldn't like it. We like the fact that he's ashamed of himself. And the father, this is the point of the whole encounter, that the father accepts him because he's his son, and he will always be his son. Nothing he does will ever change that. It's enough that he's decided to come home. So the point of this moment is to demonstrate there is no human being anywhere on earth that is beyond the love of Father God. And there's nothing they can do to forfeit that love, even when they feel most ashamed. And if they choose to make the journey to come home to God, they will receive a warm welcome. And it will have nothing to do with the manner of their return Some of us keep making that journey. In Christianity, the first time you make that journey, where you're saying, I don't want to live a life on my own anymore. It's not working. I want to be in the family home. I'm going to make that journey home. The first time we make that journey is also the last time we make that journey because then we're in the family home. Right. Then we're in the family home. Some of us, though, keep rehearsing that journey because somehow we've learned that shame makes God feel sorry for us and then he'll do what we want. That's not the way it is. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. This is, I think, crept in. So if you're familiar with the Marvel Universe you will know that this is Thor's hammer. Mjolnir. That's that's its name. The hammer has a name, don't ask. Uh, Basically, this hammer cannot be picked up by anyone who is not worthy. So for most of of the movies, uh, only Thor can pick up this hammer. And it's an incredibly powerful hammer. Uh, But then there's this moment where uh, in the final film, there's this big showdown with the enemy, and Captain America, who is the most boring Avenger, am I right? He's the worst one! He is the worst one! Thank you. He's the most boring Avenger, but he is, I'll give you, he is very principled, and so evidently the Marvel geniuses decided, you know, he is worthy, and there's this really powerful moment where he picks up the hammer, and he and Thor kind of together work to take down this villain. 
that this symbol of worthiness matters, that it's not just a hug from the Father, it's not just a kiss from the Father. The Father gives this cloak and this ring. It's a seal, it's a symbol, it's saying, you are worthy, you are a child of God, you are a son of mine. He uses the phrase, son of mine. There's, there's pride in that. So remember the symbol. We should not come to God as if we are worthless. I'll come back to that a bit later because there's probably some specifics that we can look at together. But let's look at the second encounter. That's the ring. We are not slaves. We're his kids. Let's look back together at the, uh, the moment with the older brother, just in case we've forgotten. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. So he's out in the field working and he's upset by this party, quite understandably in some ways. We can identify, I think, with this brother. And the way that he chooses to express his anger is very revealing. The way that we express anger is extremely revealing. Often we say the thing that really is at the heart of what we feel and think. All these years I've been slaving for you. And, you ne- and I never disobeyed your orders. If you were a parent and you heard that, oh. These are the words of someone who is working for a master. So from the older son, we learn this, that it is possible to live in the family home for years and never know you're a son or a daughter of God. It's possible to live in the family home for years and never know you're a son or a daughter. Pete Carter, who leads a church down in Kent, makes a really good illustration of this in a book that he's written. And he talks about the fact that if you invite guests to your home, you say, make yourself at home, don't you? You want them to be at home. You want them uh, to feel comfortable. You want them to know that they don't have to ask for permission to do anything. They can help themselves to food or to drinks, etc. And you'd consider it, you know, pride that they have a good time and that they know that they're welcome, right? But he talks about the difference when his grown-up children come home. They know all of those things. They don't need to be told it. They make themselves at home. And he describes his son, who just goes straight to the fridge. (laughs) Straight to the fridge. And he raids that fridge, and he eats the entire contents of the fridge. That's what it looks like to know you're a son, right? The older brother in this story is not raiding the fridge. He's not even just making himself comfortable as a guest. He is a slave. Do we sometimes feel 
like guests or even slaves in the family home. If we have slaves in the family home, it probably looks like uh, working too hard, not connecting with people. Uh, The people that you speak to in church life say you're usually speaking to about stuff you've got to do. Uh, You're not connecting as brothers and sisters in a family. Um, It looks joyless. There's not much laughter. It looks busy and it looks tired. And if you're just a guest, you're waiting for an invitation. You're waiting to really be welcomed in. You're waiting for someone to ask you, Oh, would you like a biscuit? We're not raiding the fridge. And there's more to it, which is that the older son complains about not getting given a young goat. And I remember first reading this story and thinking, oh, yeah, actually, why hasn't he been given a goat? Yeah? Why hasn't he been given a goat, poor guy? <laughs> and, then, and then you remember the start of the story when it says that the son, the younger son, asks the father for his share of the inheritance And the father divides it between them. So all of that cash that was given to the younger son, who went off and squandered it, was also given to the older brother. And that's why kind of at the end, the father just says, my son, all I have is yours. Don't you remember I I gave you a load of stuff? This is weird. This is really weird. Why is he so bothered by this goat we're obsessed with the goat man (laughs) so it's not only possible to live in the family home and not realize you're a son or a daughter it's also possible to have an inheritance that you're not spending or that you don't even realize you can spend Do you sometimes feel hard done by? Is there a goat that you're just not being given? (laughs) That's not... um, It's okay if the answer is yes, because Jesus chose these two sons to kind of represent humanity, okay? So you're not alone uh, that there's, there's people who struggle with shame, there's people who struggle with feeling hard done by, and that's all of those things are in this room. We, we want to, by the grace of God, shake them off. But it's good to name it when it's there. Is there something that you've not been given? But actually, you need to remember there's a whole inheritance that you have been given. There's a, there's a fridge that you're not raiding. We need to allow our Father to surprise us. Um, There's something about these encounters. Both of them are supposed to bring about change. I don't know what happens next in the story, but I'm really hoping that the older and the younger son are, are in the family home, feet up, eating some... Eating like cheddar from a block. (laughs) Or like drinking milk out of a carton or something gross like that. I want to give like a simple example from my own life. Um, My dad is not the one who buys the presents. 
he's quite a British dad um, in many ways. He doesn't buy the presents. My mum buys the presents. And they're very th- she's very thoughtful. She's very good at it. Dad doesn't buy them. And at Christmas time, there's this awkward moment usually where I'll receive my present and I will thank them both and I'll give them both a hug. And the, the hug I have with my dad, he makes this noise which is like, hmm. <laughs> which is essentially we both know, you know, we both know I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> Thanks for the hug. I was talking to someone this week who said it goes one step further for her dad, where he goes, oh, what have you got? (laughs) Uh, But then there was this one year when I was in my early 20s, and I got a phone call from my mum a couple of weeks before Christmas, and she went, you'll never guess what, dad's got you a present. And Phil, my brother, And I was surprised by this, and so was she, because she was telling me about it. (laughs) And she said, he wouldn't take no for an answer, which, again, suggests to me that she wasn't very sure about this present. And she she would have thought better of it. And she said, you should have seen him. He was like, that. I want both my kids to have that. And she didn't tell me what it was, because, you know got to wait for Christmas Day. So I had like a couple of weeks to be like, what present would have changed the course of history? (laughs) What present would have done this? When it came to the day, and again, it was slightly unusual, because usually he just sits in his chair. And uh, and But he, he went over to the Christmas tree, and he picked them both up, and he laid them before us. You know, I bought, I did this. Uh... And so both, you know, I remember looking at my brother and we were like, okay. We opened the gift. (laughs) This was inside. Yes, what is that? I I thought the same thing. Um, Is it a balloon? Is it an elastic band? It is both of those things. And And I made this, and I looked at him and he's looking at me with a kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Blow it up. All right, here's one I made earlier. So I blew it up. It took a while because it's quite big. Thank you. And I still, I still didn't really know what I was supposed to do. So he took it from me and he demonstrated. you, my brother and I spent all day doing this. It is the most fun thing in the world. And my dad, my dad was like, I knew it. (laughs) Eva can have that. And I got a spare one for the party afterwards. He was like, I knew it. Why did I tell that story? Because <laughs> it's great. It's, it's a small thing. But that day, I was reminded that my dad wanted me to have fun, and he took pleasure in that, and he made a decision that was like a little bit out of character. But, but was it out of character? I saw something new about him that day. It was a really fun day. That's what relationships are supposed to be like. We have some assumptions, we have an encounter, and then we move on. New, with new knowledge. 
don't we? And it's like that with God as well. We believe certain things about him. We have an encounter with him, and that shows us something else. And then we move on. We need to have encounters with God where he teaches us something new about who he is and who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to continue believing forever that, oh, dad doesn't do presents. So neither of those sons were supposed to say the same. We're not supposed to say ashamed. We're supposed to come home. We're supposed to come to him knowing that he calls us worthy as his sons and daughters through Jesus. We're not supposed to be slaves or even guests in the family home. We're supposed to raid the fridge. So as a community, what does that look like for us? I've got a few points, but um, it's worth just thinking about it. What, what difference would that actually make? What would we look like if we could grasp some of those things? Okay. I think we need to be reinfor- reinforcing these truths with each other. We need to because it is everywhere. There is shame everywhere. There is false sense of servitude everywhere. Um, One example is um, being down on ourselves. Uh, Learning, I think, through repetition to be down on ourselves. And there are a couple of ways we can deal with it. The way that we tend to deal with it is actually we find it quite adorable if someone's down on themselves, don't we? If someone's like, oh, I'm terrible, I'm, I get like this. And, and really what, what our instinct is is to reassure that person, you're not terrible, you're wonderful, you're great. And there's a bit of a cycle which is if I'm down on myself, I will receive reassurance and then I'll feel better. And it's a cycle that continues, isn't it? And we might think that that's a, a pastoral thing to do, but that, that just will carry on. And then we continue to let shame be part of a normal part of our community. Whereas the difference would be is if we came alongside each other and said, what are we? We're daughters of God. And we're all in this together because we all get down on ourselves from time to time. We're self-deprecating. We've learned that that's the way that we are reassured and feel better. But isn't it better if we say there isn't place for guilt or shame in this place? It's not supposed to be here. We're sons and daughters. Let's, reassure, let, let's, let's state that to each other kindly and in a pastoral way. But there's a subtle difference and it matters because there's no place for shame here. If, if anywhere should be guilt-free, it should be here. And then there's uh, people who always think about the needs of others. And thinking about the needs of others is great. That is you know, what we're supposed to be doing as uh, the church of God. But there's a, a manner in which that becomes the be-all and end-all. And you, don't, you neglect yourself. And you do it in your own strength. 
and you believe somehow. It's another lack of confidence thing. It's a belief that you need to serve others. That's all you're good for. I had a recent experience of this. I was taking part in a guided meditation where you just use your imagination to uh, rest or relax. And, and, and we were using it in this instance to invite God to speak to us. And the person who was leading the guided meditation said to me, said to us all, um, imagine yourself in Downton Abbey. So this huge, you know, uh, English country house. And there's the master of the whole house is sitting at this table, this ornate table, and he's putting on a big dinner party. And there's loads of people. There's um, maids, there's servants, there's butlers. They're all bustling about. And there's like a bunch of guests in their finery arriving. And the question was, where are you? What are you doing? You might want to think that now. What are, where are you in that scene? And I had to think to myself. And I thought, okay, well, I'm definitely on the serving staff. That's a, Okay, I think I am by the door. And I'm welcoming in the guests. And I'm saying, oh, come on in. Come on in. Have a seat. Oh, would you like some food? Are you okay? And then I'm talking to... Carson, and I'm saying, oh, do you think there's enough lighting? What about the music? Is everything okay? Someone's got to think about the big picture here because it's not a good enough event. That's, that's my, you know, that was my role in that scene. And then she asked the question, okay, now allow God, ask God to tell you where you should be. So I said, okay, God, just use my imagination. Take me take me where I should be. And he immediately got up from the, the master, got up from the seat, and he came over to me and he went, what on earth are you wearing? Now, this little pinny. What on earth are you wearing? Come on. And he took me upstairs and he opened, uh, he opened this wardrobe and there was this elaborate, amazing ball gown. And he said, well, I got this for you. Put it on. Then come back downstairs and pull up a chair. And there's such a huge difference between those two things. And I've been a Christian for a really long time. And that was four weeks ago. Um, and I just started to think, what, what does life look like when I'm wearing my gown? <laughs> what does it look like when I'm wearing my gown and not my serving uniform? And we need to start to scratch the surface of that, as brothers and sisters. Otherwise, we end up with a community of slaves and servants, which is not a fun community. It's not who we should be. So reinforcing the truth with each other really helps. Uh, raiding the fridge. Um, there are certain behaviours, as we've covered, that mark out someone as a son or a daughter. And I think it would be worth going away and, and, try, and asking God, what would that look like in my life? But it definitely would change the way we pray and what we pray for. So there are probably things you'd never dream of praying for that might seem like they're nice to have. You know, a bit of an extravagance. Oh, I don't need that. I can cope without that, actually. I'm doing all, I'm doing all right. 
That's not what God is like. You could pray for more love in your life, closer friends, more friends, a life partner, a job, a better job, a better paid job, a ludicrously fruitful ministry, freedom, miracles, more of the life of the Holy Spirit, a government we can all be proud of. Things we think we don't deserve. Things we think are just a nice thing to have. We don't need them. Small things as well as big things. You know, we often discount the small things and don't have faith for the big things. And we've got the whole range available to us. We've got this full fridge. It's a never-endingly full fridge. If you uh, analyze the way you pray, if you find that your prayer is more often than not like this, you know, oh Lord, if it is your will, would you, if you see it to be good, would you give it unto me? You know, if, if you look at the way you pray, that can often identify how you really relate to God. So that's raid the fridge. And then the last one is um, prioritize encounter with our Father God. At the end of the day, the only one who can really change us and the way that we see God is God. And uh, you can tell yourself that you're loved or you like, but it means a lot more if you hear it. So we're going to um, we got five minutes. We're going to do that. Um, we're going to allow some time just to be in the presence of our Father God. There's something about being in his presence um, that does us more good than we know. It, it might feel like we're not doing anything in that time, um, but we are. We're being in the presence of our Father. It's an encounter moment with him. So can I encourage you to get comfortable wherever that might be, sitting down or if you are the sort of person that prefers to lie down or go and sit against this, like this man over here, modeling it well, um, uh, please do um, get comfortable. The band will just play softly. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll just have a bit of time. Lord, I want to pray for this community. You went to such great lengths that we would be here today. You are a father who wants us to grow in the knowledge of your love for us. And you don't want to hear the speech. You don't want to hear the shame speech. You just want to say, you're my son. You're my daughter. You want to throw a robe around our shoulders, put a ring on our finger, put us in a posh dress, dependent on our preference. You want to do all of those things. Would you come and would you meet with us? 
I especially pray for those who need uh, a touch of your love. Um, Would you come and would you come quickly?